0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. welcome you into another edition of meet me at mutual i'm your host daniel shop c70 the bat at c70 on twitter usually with me is alan medlock he's not joining us at the moment tonight uh but i've got um two for the price of one um alan and i wanted to talk to some of the other podcasting groups we've done a couple of them we've talked to the guys from Cardinals Off day a couple of weeks ago the guys from turn into podcast uh a week or so after that and now We've got the dynamic duo from Terps, Taro Nichols from Birds on the Black and at Tara Weldon on Twitter and Alex from Birds on the Black and at AlexCard79 on Twitter. Guys, um, thanks for joining me tonight.
1: Wait, two per- for the price of one? I-, I didn't know that was the deal.
0: <laughs> yeah, Alex said something about negotiating rates. Uh, I We haven't gotten to that part yet. So,
1: ah, All right, all right. <laughs>
0: Uh, I'm not sure if he was going to cut you in on the deal or not. No, but I, I hadn't a,
2: planned on it, but now I guess I have to. Yeah. Now you're kind of
0: stuck.
1: <laughs> I see how it is. I see how it is.
0: Life has been a busy, I know, for everybody in the last little bit. Um, and I know y'all both got a chance to record a show after the firing of Mike Schilt, but I don't think you've had a chance to really weigh in on the new manager on, on Ollie Marmel's um, ascension from bench coach to the top job. Um, Tara, we'll start with you. I know you've kind of, you know, probably haven't had the chance to really dig into it a lot, but what were your thoughts uh, when you heard about that?
1: Yeah, this time of year is always a bit crazy for me dealing with the other sports that I cover, particularly in the figure skating world. So my time is definitely split, but I will say I was not shocked by the Oli Marmol news. I don't think anyone who's paid attention to the Cardinals as of late should have been or could have been shocked by that. Um, I think there is part of me that still kind of going back to when Mike Matheny was fired would love to have some sort of outside perspective to maybe change up the status quo for this team but I'm not surprised that they went with Ollie Marmol, especially considering it really does seem like he was always their guy and it was just a matter of when to get to him. I don't know that they anticipated it being quite this soon, but it seems like he was being primed for that spot for for many years already and so it made sense if they had those conversations with him, in terms of hey are you ready for this and they felt like he was uh, that he would in fact be the guy i think it leaves the door open for a lot of questions as to <laughs> what the philosophical differences really were and how different the philosophy is going to be with you know mike schultz right hand man at the helm and that's a fair conversation i think but the the comments and the opinions and the perspectives that i have heard over the, the years about Marmal are all really great. So I, I think, I guess I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, even though it doesn't all totally make sense to me at this point, but I think it could possibly work. It just, there's no way to really know at this point.
0: Yeah, it seems to be, I mean, we're, we are kind of fumbling in the dark here a lot, especially because of, of the, I loved how John Moselock said in the press conference where he, he announced the new manager of, well, we might not have been clear. So, you know, on these philosophical differences. So it was some internal issues well, that, that that cleared it right up.
1: Way, way more clear than philosophical yeah,
0: differences. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Alex, what were your thoughts uh, on the new manager?
2: I thought it was great. Uh, and I think the philosophical differences thing did kind of get blown out of proportion. And I don't think it's really a, big deal i mean to me it sounds like philosophical differences slash perhaps personality differences Um, Mm -hmm. and there's no reason to think that ollie marmel is going to be a clone of uh even though he was his bench coach and uh right hand man uh however much that is true i don't know uh so I, i i don't really buy into that i disagree with the idea that well because he was his bench coach then that he his philosophy can't be all that different but i also disagree with the idea that it was 100 like game philosophy and philosophical differences in the first place i think Schilt just may have been stubborn and played a hand that he didn't quite have um but and, and that just rubbed mosaic the wrong way and he all of a sudden found himself without a job but when it comes to moral i think it's and i like Schilt, but i, I think this is wonderful i Correct me if I'm wrong. The Cardinals have only had white managers throughout their history, right? Um,
0: no, because I knew, the-
2: I knew, I knew you would have someone who like managed to <laughs> for like four days or something. Well,
0: uh, it was uh, there was a guy named Mike Gonzalez who managed for parts of the '39 and '40 season because there's a lot of references okay. for him in okay. the Marmalade one. I think that's the only other uh well, man of color to do it, though.
2: Okay, well, and this is different because. I'm guessing back then you didn't have so many Spanish speaking players as you do now. And so it's, it's important to have a guy who can speak Spanish. Uh, And I I think it's good to have Marmel in this role. I don't know if you guys feel this way, but I always felt like he had a nice vibe just on the bench. He always seemed to be calm, happy, smiling. Uh, Now that might change once he's in the uh, number one seat. I don't know, but I thought it was great. And Daniel, I know when you, I think it was when he was talking to the two Ben's right after Schilt was fired. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, they really need to nail this hire. And you kind of asked them about it that, and they, they disagreed with that idea. And I think it's because we were talking sort of about two different things. Like, I don't think the Cardinals needed to go out and hire like the Nick Saban of baseball, which I don't even i don't think that person even exists or right, has right. ever really existed but i do think if we're in the same spot three years from now um now granted mosaic seems to have as much job security as almost anyone at least it appears that way on the outside looking in but if we're having this conversation three years from now i don't know how much credibility the people making this these hires are going to have if they're looking for another guy because they've run into the third guy in a row who they just can't quite connect with on the level that they need to mm-hmm. in terms of um, executing their game plan.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. And it does feel like Marmol is the guy that they, they, can, they, they can connect with. Um, and it would be very surprising. It would seem like the only reason they'd be looking for one is if for some reason he took off. Um, Not that they are going to try to run him off. Um, How much did he play into this? I know John Moselock made a reference to the fact that, um, you know, having Marmal kind of in their pocket made it easier to, to move on from Schilt. Uh, Tara do you think they would have made this move had they not had an Ollie Marmol or would they have just tried to figure out those differences a little bit more likely
1: I'm a little bit torn in terms of what to think about that for two reasons one I think it's really hard even as much as we're prone to making assumptions and it's reading between the lines because what else would we do to fill <laughs> airtime on a podcast if we didn't do that? But it's really hard without knowing what those issues were and why they came up now, how dramatic it really would have been if they didn't already have someone waiting in the wings. The second thing is the reason it's hard for me to give a straight answer to that is because like I said, I really do feel like Marmol has been the guy they really wanted for a long time they just needed him to have the experience necessary to get there so it's almost like okay well maybe did they realize that Shilt was just kind of standing in his way at this point and so mm. it made it even easier because Marmel was their guy all along Shilt was just kind of the bridge to get there and all of a sudden there were these internal issues whatever they might have been and it was like you said very easy to just hand the controls over to the next guy because he's who they wanted there at some point in the future anyway so i don't know it feels it feels more complicated than usual to make any sort of assumptions because of just how vague the conversation around the the sort of explosion between Moselleck and Schultz might have been, but I, I really do feel like Marmol has been on the horizon for a number of years, and this was just maybe the perfect storm to put him in that position. Now, I will say, I, like Alex, kind of pushed back on the idea of, okay, so Marmol worked with Schultz for a long time. That doesn't mean he's going to think mm-hmm. exactly the same way about the game, but just in the last week or so, I actually listened to a podcast, um, Matt Holliday's podcast, Table mm-hmm. 40, where months ago they had Ollie Marmol and his wife Amber on the show. And there was a particular part of that conversation where he was talking about, OK, what is your role as a bench coach? It's to you know help fulfill the, the, the mission and the overall vision of the manager. And it's easy for me to do that because we think about the game so much the same way. So I don't know that it really is that different, which just adds to the sort of confusion from the outside looking in. Um, And of course he could have said that on the podcast because he felt like he had to because he was representing the team at that point and Mike Schultz was technically his boss. (laughs) So who knows? But I don't know that it's going to be this big dramatic, what we see on the field is different, but it's hard to make assumptions about why now and if Marmol is the reason they made the move without knowing at least a little tiny piece of, of what the details might have been there
0: and it's you know I want to say and I, I without digging I couldn't necessarily find the quote but it felt like I remember seeing when Marmol was being introduced they kind of asked him about that relationship with Schilt and And I think he said something to the fact that, you know, I bring stuff to him and he chooses to do it or not. And I think somebody even asked, well, how much, you know, how often, and he was saying it was kind of a 50, 50 thing. It may have been that they think, you know, philosophically along the same lines, but how you implement that philosophy was a bit of a, of of a contentious spot for them. So um, it, it will be interesting. He seems like a guy as we've heard that, you know, and this is funny because we've heard this for the last three managers, right? That they're really into analytics. Um, I don't n- know exactly what Mike Matheny thought analytics were when he get, was here. And we have obviously seen Mike Schilt embrace them somewhat more, but there was still a step to be taken. So it's going to be, I think that's going to be interesting to see whether they can, if that analytical bent really actually stands out Alex do you think we will see I mean what could we see I guess analytically more than what we were seeing
2: gosh um I I think we will not see Adam Wainwright pitch 206 innings Mm. uh now that that was almost out of necessity last year and uh because uh I don't think we went into the season planning on him being our our number one pitcher. Uh, But, you know, Flaherty got hurt. Uh, The rest of the staff wasn't that strong. Uh, But the point being, I I think we're going to start seeing starting pitchers pulled a little bit earlier. Um, Whether that falls under the umbrella of analytics or just like, that's just how the game is played today. I don't know. I could see, you know, he gave that quote uh, earlier this week about platooning uh, players. One of you can kind of flesh out exactly what he said. Uh, I listened to the off-date podcast today, and they seem to draw a straight line to Edmund uh, taking a lot of plate appearances from the left side where he's not very good. Um, so that could be something there. But overall, I, I really don't know. Uh, I will say, kind of going back to your question before this, in defense of hiring from within is the idea that you know your guy's strengths, but you also know his warts. And so you don't quite have the risk of making a hire from someone from the outside and then it all blows up before you even, before it even like takes shape. Like think of like a Carlos Beltran. So
0: you're, you're talking about the Mets so
2: (laughs) yeah exactly exactly um if there would be something that would like blow up this whole situation uh before it even had a chance to get off the ground they probably would have already known that about marmal already right Right. and so i I think it is it it is safe but safe in a good way Uh, in terms of what this is going to look like from the analytical standpoint and how uh how less of an old-school manager he will be. I don't know. I always, when I think about Schilt, one of the first things I think about is him and his very first game managing batting Yadier Molina second in the lineup. (laughs) Um, And and, um, just how just peculiar of a move that was. Now, lineups are always a funny thing because everyone agrees that they don't make a huge difference, but everyone also agrees they're not that hard to get right. (laughs) <laughs> they're not that hard to put people where they where they typically belong and it was very hard to argue in 2018 that Yadier Molina at that point had any business being the second batter uh in a lineup whether or not it's it's that big of a deal or not so I don't know I'm I I I, I think we'll just have to to see uh you know I he is certainly on notice, right? Whatever Schilt was doing wrong, which he, I assume, is privy is privy to that, even though we are not. He's certainly on notice that this is how they want me to manage this team. And he's also on notice that if you don't do that, unlike Matheny, they will not be afraid to fire you, even after, I think, what a lot of us would call a pretty successful season. It didn't look like it yep. was going to turn that way, but it did. And it's pretty amazing looking back to know that we were at one point enjoying a 17 game winning streak an unprecedented an unprecedented moment in Cardinals history and then what two weeks later the manager was getting fired <laughs> less than that yeah i, I mean I, I don't even quite remember uh, oh yeah, the yeah so we lost
0: yeah. what a week it was a week of the season and then you turn around and have the yeah it's pretty close to two weeks if if not uh, so it's it's kinda it, crazy it, it,
2: it was a thursday if i recall and what they had the game on wednesday so it was eight mm-hmm. days after the uh, the wild card game, if I recall, he gets fired. Mm. So he's certainly on notice that whatever Mosaic and company want him to do, he should know what that is.
0: Yeah, he also knows that you know maybe one of his one of the people that might have had a shot at that job is now sitting in the spot that he had beforehand. It's Skip Schumacher coming in to be the bench coach and to some degree, you know, managerial backup, if necessary. Um, Not only in games where, and that's going to be also interesting. Like you said, Alex, he's not necessarily a guy that's gotten worked up too much, although he was kind of expressive on that, you know, infield fly against the Cubs um, after Schilt was tossed. Sure. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, how often he gets run out of games. I'm sure at some point in time he will, but Tara that, you know, the, the Cardinals bring in um, Skip Schumacher this week, um, which is kind of, again, one of those expected things, but at least to some degree, even though they're familiar with Skip, he comes from the outside and I don't know how much that matters, but it's at least better than not coming from the outside. Right.
1: Yeah. Oh, I think his experience with other organizations is definitely going to benefit them. I think I would say, I was more surprised that Skip Schumacher took the job than that the Cardinals offered it to him <laughs> simply because you know he's he's been on the West Coast for a long time. I believe that's where they live in the mm-hmm. offseason. and mm-hmm. so it, it makes a lot of sense for him to be there and uh, additionally, I think he was talked about as a guy, that would be in consideration for for a managerial position. Now, I don't know that there are great managerial roles out there other than in St. Louis perhaps and you know the Padres, but um if if it wasn't going to be one of those places maybe it he didn't want to take one of those other Opportunities, or they didn't offer it to him. I don't know, but it was it was like I said, more surprising to me that he accepted the job than that the Cardinals would offer someone like Skip Schumacher a chance to come back and be part of the Cardinals organization under this you know new era, new regime, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I do think that that. It, it wasn't an offer made just because, well, he knows St. Louis Cardinals baseball. It was an offer made because he's made a name for himself on the coaching side of things where there's a lot of credibility there and a lot of perspective that he can bring in that balances both that outsider voice and someone who understands what it is about Cardinals baseball that the team finds really important to hold on to. So he's in a unique position to have both of those qualities and that's why you know I I figured he was in at least the conversations about the managerial job so I was a little surprised that he would come in as the bench coach but I'm not surprised that the Cardinals attempted to make that move
0: it's also very interesting to me at least that the Cardinals tried to hire him for like a two or three you know a, a long-term contract he took a one-year deal with options, mainly because, like you said, Terry, he lives on the West Coast. He wasn't sure if he wanted to be away from his family and stuff like that. But it's it's just a little bit interesting to see this kind of big change, if you will. And then, Alex, we could be going through this again next year if he decides this isn't what he wants to do.
2: Sure. I, I don't know how much sleep I'm going to lose over the, <laughs> search for the new bench coach. Um, if that's, that's what you're talking about. No, I
0: mean, that's fair, but uh, it's still a little bit, you know, if you're looking to build continuity for sure, it's not there
2: for sure. Uh, probably smart on skip Schumacher's part, right. Mm-hmm. If he's being considered for the Cardinals job to take a, a one-year deal, because who knows what jobs might be open uh, right. at the conclusion of this year. Uh, so, I totally make sense from that standpoint as well as just from the West coast family thing.
0: Yeah. There was an article I was reading this evening in the athletic about the diamondbacks and what they did this, this late in the year, uh, because they had reason to, they had brought in Alan Baird out of kind of retirement or whatever. He'd been in baseball, but not with the, went with the diamondbacks to kind of do an internal audit of what you know why they had gone wrong they didn't you know they were having a worse year than expected and apparently the to do this on a semi-regular basis you know bring in somebody that has fresh eyes to look at things before they get you know somewhat I don't want to say corrupted but you know influenced mm-hmm. by being in the organization is this I mean not that the Cardinals are going to do some sort of you know soul searching like this or anything like that but do you think they'll listen to, you know, skips a bench coach, but he's also a guy that's been out of in Cincinnati. He's been in San Diego. He's been in Los Angeles since he's been in St. Louis. Um, Are they going to listen to his point of view a little bit about that to get a little bit of a outside perspective?
1: I think it, I think there are a couple of pieces to that. One is what is his role really as the bench coach who is going to be needing to listen to him. Probably not John Zalek. That's probably not the conversation that he's going to be having most often. Um, But communicating with players or being a a different voice rather than an echo chamber for Marmol, being someone who has different experience and realistically more experience than Marmol has in the game as a whole. Um, So I, I think that he has enough respect from the players in the clubhouse that he'll be able to have conversations with them as it pertains to what, whether it's the the analytics that are being presented to them and to do that in a way that makes sense. And that is useful. Um, not just from a, you know, (laughs) crunching the numbers in an office perspective, but from a guy who has been there, done that perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't think getting the players to listen to him should be a particularly tough task. I think that Marmol seems to be the type that appreciates perspective and um, even you know, contradicting ideas at times. I mentioned in the, the podcast with Matt Holiday that he said he and Mike Schilt had similar philosophies about baseball, but he also said one of his jobs as a bench coach was to challenge Mike Schilt and to present different ideas and to say, hey, are you sure this is the right move? So I would imagine if that's the approach he took to that job, he'll be looking for that from someone like Skip Schumacher who can bring those outside influences as well. So I don't think that there's any, um, I don't think there's any risk in taking a one-year chance, right? (laughs) I think in fact, There's probably so much benefit that can come, even if it is from one year of Skip Schumacher, to get that outside perspective, to have someone who can challenge the status quo, but do it in a way that still has as the basis, the understanding of what is good about Cardinals baseball, but has also been somewhere else and has seen success somewhere else and knows that the Cardinals don't have you know, some sort of exclusive deal with success from within. Right. It's not that's not something that only the St. Louis Cardinals have ever figured out how to do, which sometimes is how it comes off. Right. There's this there's this idea of homegrown talent or of, you know, whatever it is that it it feels like the Cardinals think they're the only ones that can do stuff like that. And so to have Skip Schumacher go from St. Louis to all those other places you mentioned have some success as a player, as a coach and be part of that dynamic in other ways, I think can only be good for them. Even if it ends up being basically, like you said, a one-year audit of, Hey, uh, you know, this is what other teams are doing and it's worked really well there. So it could work here too.
2: Daniel, I'll say this. If, if you can't listen to the guy who drove in the only run of game five of the 2011 MLDS, uh, the guy who, in my mind, I would sometimes confuse with Sugar Shane Robinson, even though they played completely <laughs> different positions, um, then what are we even doing here, Right.
0: Well, I, I, I would—that's absolutely fair, except for the fact that the guy that allowed no runs in that game is now an Angel instead of Cardinal. So I, I don't know what we're doing here sometimes. Hey, um,
2: it, it, it doesn't matter if you allow no runs if your team doesn't score.
0: That—that's fair. That game could have
2: gone it's for a, that, that game could have been going on right now if it wasn't for. Uh,
1: Basically, what Alex is telling us is that we've been singing the praises of the wrong guy for that game all these years yeah. it clearly should have been the skip schumacher game not the mac not the not not Matt actually, not the chris carpenter game
2: actually what i was trying to say is i have no idea uh, <laughs> listen to him, and that was how i chose to answer that question and confess <laughs> that for whatever reason there were times in my head where i would think of shane robinson and see skip schumacher and vice versa even though like i said they play different positions
0: I Well, i mean why. they were both outfielders for a while until... well
2: yeah i guess when you when you play under la Russa, like uh skip schumacher did you're always an outfielder no matter what yeah uh, um <laughs> so that is true uh fair enough
0: <laughs> yeah that that may have something to do with it although you saw a lot more of skip schumacher than you did of, of shane robinson i think so that is uh, true um true. yeah uh yeah it's just uh i don't know yeah i you know we keep we're hearing a lot and we'll see how much it goes into it about the front office and the managerial staff kind of being a lot closer than maybe our traditional you know um thoughts of those kind of staff are um you know, John Moselock said, did say he doesn't run down in the middle of the game to give, you know, Marmol some lineup changes or anything like that. So um, there is still some autonomy, but um, so it will be, it'll be just kind of interesting to see if that permeates because we have talked about it. I think, I know Tara and I have for sure um, this idea that they need that, right? I mean, this is an organization that has a lot of internal stuff and that's great, but the, you, do you run the risk of getting kind of, you know, inwardly focused and, you know, think you're doing the right thing versus, you know, kind of getting out of step with baseball? I mean, Alex, do you think that's a risk that they have?
2: Oh, I think that's a legitimate concern and one that you articulated, I, I think very well for everyone when you wrote that piece. Uh, what is that? Was that probably May or June of this? Of uh, this
0: yeah. It may have been, it may have been, I think it was August. I think it was right after the trade deadline because what they didn't do. I
2: I can't go back and say word for word but what you said, but (laughs) nobody wants that. (laughs) (laughs) But you're exactly right. Like complacency is often the enemy of progress. And and complacency can happen without even noticing it when you just have kind of like a circle of people saying the exact same thing. So, if, if if that's kind of what Skip Schumacher, if, if Schumacher, if Skip Schumacher's job is to kind of disrupt that, then I think that is a very good thing.
0: Um, okay, so there were other things besides uh, coaching staff that has happened over the last couple of weeks. One of which is the Cardinals, un, you know, unsurprisingly declining the options on matt carpenter and carlos martinez um matt carpenter puts out a nice you know great video about his time in st louis um yeah carlos puts up a picture of him on vacation i mean you know people deal with changes in different ways um let's talk about the carpenter stuff first i guess um tara obviously you know we had the there was a little bit of a blow up on Twitter a little bit this week when Mike Claiborne kind of tried to sound like discount what Matt Carpenter has done, uh, in, in Cardinal red. Um, what are your lasting memories of Matt Carpenter and how is he going to be remembered?
1: I think Matt Carpenter, Matt Carpenter will be remembered more fondly as time goes on. Mm. And the reason for that is look, if you go back and put into perspective what he did in the earlier years of his career and the way he adapted, the way he filled in roles when it seemed like there was nobody on the roster to fill in that spot, whether we're talking about in the lineup or defensively on the infield, what he put together as far as a career in St. Louis is going to look much better in hindsight. And the more distance there is from that, the more people are going to be able to say, okay, look, did, his career end like he wanted it to? Absolutely not. But did he still have some fantastic years in St. Louis where he was realistically the best thing they had going for them in years where the offense looked like there wasn't going to be anyone driving it and where there were holes in the infield that somehow Matt Carpenter continued to fill even when no one thought he could. Um, you know, the, the years with all the doubles, the years that he was an all-star the years, uh, where, you know, even when he wasn't at his best, he would put together stretches where you would remember what made him so great in the first place. I think more than one particular season for me, it's just the standout that Matt Carpenter turned himself into, right? Because he wasn't always and perhaps he was never the most naturally talented but no one could question how much he worked to make himself better and the unfortunate thing is whatever happened in the last couple of years he couldn't work himself out of that and you know that that changes the way we think about his career again in the immediate but i think when enough time passes that you can go back and kind of look at his career by the numbers instead of by the emotions, it will be one that does stand out in Cardinals history. And, you know, I think it's different too, if you take the time to go back and think about all those seasons where he was at his best and how different those seasons look without Matt Carpenter doing what he did. And you know, you can't ever take that away. I know the conversation is, is he a Cardinals Hall of Famer or not? I think, you know, if you stack up the numbers in direct comparison to other greats in the organization, the fact that his career in St. Louis ended the way that it did, doesn't take away from the contributions that he made over a number of years that do stack up against some of those other greats.
0: Alex, what are your thoughts?
2: Daniel, this is what I, I will say. You know how Ray Lankford basically holds every single offensive uh, – uh, he's basically the leader in every offensive category for the Cardinals in the 90s? Mm-hmm. I, I haven't looked, but it wouldn't surprise me if Matt Carpenter has basically – or close to do, – do, yeah, excuse me, has basically done the same thing during the 2000 and what do you call that decade the 2010s the the, uh, the, the,
0: the yeah the teens the, the teens
2: yeah uh because like langford his career just kind of happened to coincide with with almost a full decade you know he had that cup of coffee in 2011 and uh 2012 he he was more of a regular and then by 2013 he was off and running uh, and i think you know, he's not going to be up there and stolen bases like, like Lankford was uh, or, or probably triples either. But home runs, runs, runs batted in, doubles, hits. It would not shock me if he is the Cardinals leader during this past decade. Mm-hmm. And like Ray Langford it would not surprise me if what Tara said is absolutely correct, that several years from now, 10 years from now, we all appreciate him a lot more because Daniel, I know you're old enough to remember that when Ray Langford was playing and a lot of, a lot of this had to do with the fact that we didn't quite appreciate his game like we probably would today because he Mm -hmm. struck out a lot or whatever. But you remember Daniel, like we, I I don't think the fan base loved Langford quite like they love him now. No, And I don't know if Carpenter will quite get that treatment. He's a different player from Ray Lankford, so I don't want to compare and say, like, maybe because he's not as good or maybe he's better. I really don't know. But he has those stats, and he has so many big moments with the – so many just memorable at-bats that, that will forever be in my brain. I remember – and I, I made mention of this on Twitter – that bases clearing double, he hit off Kershaw in game mm-hmm. one of 2014 NLDS, I believe in the seventh inning. I was walking over from, the, from game one of the Giants-Nats series, and because I was nearby and every place was packed with Nats fans
0: <laughs>
2: who were also coming from that game, my friends and I found this bar that was not accustomed to having like people interested in sports inside there. And we sat at this bar and we convinced it was more of a restaurant than bar, but we convinced them to turn the game on. And when that happened, I made this noise that made everyone (laughs) in that restaurant kind of turn and look at me and not in a, uh, wow, I'm glad he's here sort of way, (laughs) but I, I couldn't help it. It was such just an incredible moment. And so I will certainly remember him fondly. I hope the rest of the fan base follows Sue. I, I think the, th- those who are sour on Matt Carpenter are kind of a loud minority who I, I don't worry about too much. But in my opinion, if Jason Isringhausen is a Cardinals Hall of Famer, then Matt, Carp- excuse me, Matt Carpenter is absolutely a Cardinals Hall of Famer.
0: Yeah. I tend to put Coleman as the, the low bar uh, for the Hall of Fame right now, but he definitely clears that. Um, yeah, I, I, I think the, the comparison to Langford is one I've thought about as well that the only thing that I mean one of the things that that Carpenter has going for him was playoff appearances. And I think that's part of why Lankford got a little bit of the short end of the stick is because he didn't get to go to the playoffs very much. So he was the, the best player on a kind of a weak time in St. Louis history. So that didn't help him any. But um I, I agree with both of you. I think that you know once you get past the the bad taste of the last couple of years then and you think about the first, you know, eight or whatever. Uh, I think that people are going to be much more excited about, about him. And, you know, he's, he feels like the kind of guy he's going to be around the ballpark. He's going to be the guy that shows up here and there. He's going to you know, pop on the, whatever the name of the broadcast is going to be in four years. Um, and Jim Hayes will probably be interviewing him and things of that nature. I mean, he'll, he'll just be around somewhat, Um assuming he doesn't play anywhere. I mean, is there, do you see him catching on with somebody next year? Um, You know, I know he wants to play Tara, but I I still have trouble imagining that there's going to be a whole lot of demand for his services.
1: I won't be surprised if someone takes sort of a flyer and maybe signs him to a minor league contract to see what's there. But the last two seasons have really... I think limited those expectations Mm. pretty significantly in terms of, you know, it's not just one bad season. It's not just, Oh, he wasn't healthy or or whatever it is. So because of his resume, I won't be surprised if someone's like, Hey, why not see what happens? See if we can catch lightning in a bottle and give him a chance. But I don't anticipate that, you know, he's going to sign some significant contract, um, simply because I think he would also be first in line to say his work as of late hasn't warranted that.
0: Yeah. Okay. So the other side of this equation is Carlos Martinez, who, again, has been a bit of out of sight, out of mind because he's been hurt some, for, for much of the year. And um, we kind of knew that he wasn't coming back at least for a while. Um Alex how is Carlos Martinez going to be remembered is he a guy that people will appreciate more in a few years or is he just kind of going to fade into cartel history
2: I don't know this is a tougher one I think there's a little more disappointment there because we had such high hopes mm-hmm. and maybe that was never fair of us uh I remember in 2014, people were calling him like little Pedro Martinez. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, there's nothing more unfair than uh, being. I think think Pedro called him that. (laughs) Yeah, I I think you are right. And I mean, you talk about unrealistic expectations. Uh, I will say this about Carlos Martinez. Uh, Those seasons he had from 2015 through 2017. I loved watching him pitch because, and I've said this before, but. I say it a lot because I think it's worth mentioning. He could moonlight as both a high strikeout pitcher and a guy who was basically a ground ball pitcher. He was one of like two pitchers in the league who had a strikeout rate above 25% and a ground ball rate uh, above 50%. Those people are just very hard to find. And when he was on, he was an excellent pitcher and Easily our best, our best pitcher during those three seasons. Um, Now, uh, maybe I'm forgetting. Maybe maybe I'm overlooking like Lance Lynn during that time. I don't remember. Or Was Lance Lynn even with us in 2017? I don't remember.
0: I don't remember either. I don't, I can't remember. I think he was, I think Lynn left at, I don't know why I want to say Lance Lynn left in 16, but.
2: Well, whatever the case. Anyway, yeah, yeah. It's, I feel like it's an incomplete almost. Uh, We saw what he could do when he was at his best and he was very good. Uh, The injuries started piling up. Uh, There always seemed to be something odd going on sometimes off the field. Um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes it was hard to put your finger on. Um, I was still shocked to see that this past season, he was third on the team in innings pitched. (laughs) <laughs> because I had almost forgotten about him after May. But when I went and looked at that, cause I was just so surprised, you know, he pitched, he, he was making starts well into July, uh, yeah. for the Cardinals, which seems pretty hard to believe because by the time the winning streak rolled around and the playing game rolled around, he, he was completely out of sight, out of mind, at least as far as I was concerned.
0: Well, you um, wanted to forget that June that he had too. So for
2: sure, for sure. Um, I, I wish him nothing but the best. I He was so exciting when he first came up, uh, when he was with the team in the, during the playoffs in 2013, and all of a sudden we had all these guys that were just throwing gas, and he was uh, kind of the leader of of, the, of that crew. Uh, he, at times, looked so electric. It was so fun having him on the mound. So I, I will also have fond memories of him as a Cardinal, but also a little disappointed it didn't turn out better I mean he for a while was kind of on the fast track to maybe uh finish his Cardinals career with more strikeouts than basically anyone but Bob Gibson or Adam Wainwright Mm -hmm. um it wouldn't shock me if he still ranks inside the top 10 I'll have to look that up I should know that but yeah it's uh it's disappointing it didn't have a better ending but I will I guess enjoy the good times that we had in those times uh from basically first came up until uh, the end of the 2017 season.
0: Yeah, I will say one Lance Lynn's last season with the Cardinals was 2017. Okay. Um but also Carlos uh had the better war that year. Um he had according to baseball reference uh 3.2 to Lance Lynn's 2.9. It's also very weird because baseball reference puts the top 12 players from that year up and there's very few Cardinal hats on that (laughs) list. And 17 is not that long ago, but there were four Cardinals, four people that were still Cardinals and two of them were Martinez and Carpenter. So out of the top 12 in 2017, all we've got left is Yadier Molina and Paul DeYoung, um, which is, I don't know. It just feels like that's a lot of turnover for five years, but that's perhaps baseball now. Uh, Tara, what are you thinking on, on Carlos?
1: I think, a couple of things. First of all, I will always say that Carlos Martinez was one of the pitchers that I enjoyed the most when he was at his best, similar to years. Well, particularly the Achilles injury year for Adam Wainwright, when he was pitching so well prior to that, just had, I had so much fun watching him in just such mastery of his craft. That's how I felt about Carlos Martinez when he was pitching really well. Like it was totally unpredictable in terms of, wow, I haven't seen him do that before, but it worked out in ways that made him to me, one of the most exciting pitchers in the game. That said, I think Carlos Martinez is the reason that people are so hesitant to believe that anything good can happen with the career of Alex Reyes, Mm. because it feels like history repeating itself in the sense that this is a guy that has been talked about i mean the front office so started talking about alex reyes at uh, blogger day events years and years ago and talking about how oh he's he's going to be like carlos martinez he's going to be like this he's going to be that and then we've seen the roller coaster that that's been for reyes which feels very similar to the roller coaster we've been on with carlos martinez even if it's for you know, different circumstances, different reasons. So it does, I agree with Alex. It feels a bit incomplete. It feels like what could have been. And um, you know, we we never really got to see that on full display in any sort of consistent manner, but, but that's a little misleading too, right? Because the seasons where he was good before he got hurt really the first time that took him out um, for an extended period of time, he was really, really, really good and mostly good, consistently um i think the the blow up or the bad inning or whatever it is is perhaps more memorable emotionally than it looks on paper um because you know we all we all feel like the inconsistency was there even in the times when it wasn't but that's the the carlos martinez story right is that we have this perspective of him as a person him as an athlete him in terms of his career that is I feel like always going to be skewed by something that was an extenuating circumstance or a factor outside of, um, you know, his performance on the mound. And that's, that's a frustrating story to try to tell. It doesn't feel like it's the ending that should have been, but it is where the story ends for now for Carlos Martinez in St. Louis. I will be curious to see if he ever does, regain enough form to find that, you know, missing piece, whatever it is, somewhere else, or if he just does sort of fade off into the distance. And um, you know, it, it really is a story of wondering what could have been.
0: Yeah. Although I do think that he's gonna have a much more of a market, obviously, than the Matt Carpenter, just because he, you know, there's somebody else there's gonna take a chance on a guy that can really develop like that. Um and so it'll be be interesting to see if that happens. If a, if he does finally find something in some other organization, or stays healthy, or you know finds that focus that you know often he talked about, or Yadi or Melina would talk about, it just never seemed to be there. Um, which is you know a little bit of a cop out, I guess, to three degrees, but it was still some sort of issue with him, um, whatever the case may be. But. Uh, injuries and such were a lot more of the case. Um, We're running a little bit long, but let's get a couple of the other things that have happened. Um, One, the Cardinals uh, put some people on waivers. Um, Austin Dean, Justin Williams, Max Moroff, all of which uh, Dean was claimed by the Giants, the other two elected free agency. Um, I don't know if any of y'all have an opinion on on any of that. Um, I think the only other thing, In that regard, Nick Plummer was kind of told he wasn't going to get at it. And so elected free agency as well. That may have had more of a a call. Did any of those transactions move the needle for either one of you?
2: I'll go first. Uh, On every single person you just mentioned, um, my opinion is to read what Kyle tweets about and then I just nod. (laughs)
1: Yeah, which is why I would also yeah. follow up with yeah, the plumber thing was surprising, but mostly because I talked to Kyle about it.
0: <laughs> that that's fair. I mean, you know, um, you know, if you're going to talk about anything with Kyle, it really needs to be minor league baseball because otherwise it gets weird. Um,
2: I will say this really quick about plumber is it was disappointing in that he was a first round draft pick and who struggled. But then seemed to kind of find it this season, so it was a really good, almost a feel-good story. And then mm-hmm. this happened. I was like, "Oh, oh, well, shoot." I was, I was looking forward to enjoying more of that story, but I guess I won't.
1: But yeah, and I think, I think for me, that's the Cardinals have typically kind of had a long leash with guys like that, and they did with Plummer for a long time. And you know, it kind of feels strange to keep him around as long as they did. To see him have the season that he did, especially coming off of remember not having a season the year before yeah. in terms of minor league baseball. So it just feels odd to go through all of that and then just be like, mm, good work kid, but no, thanks. So yeah, it, it definitely felt strange and who knows, he may be another one that we're watching just tear it up somewhere else in a couple of years.
0: Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully so did, for his sake, at least. Um, I do wonder, I mean, I don't know how much of this is, Hey, he worked through the pandemic and figured it out and moved on, or it would have clicked anyway. And if that's the latter of the case, you kind of wish, you know, they had had the full 2020 season, cause that might've made a difference. That might've made him get to the big leagues now that he was kind of at the end of his rope. And you look at this outfield that's full and, you know, yeah, you know, how much do you want to keep a guy like that around for a handful of at bats, um, I, you know, I don't know. And obviously they didn't want to do too much of that. I don't, I feel like this is more of a, of a procedural roster issue than a, you know, lack of confidence in what Nick Plummer could bring. But I guess, again, like we said, we'll see it somewhere else. Cardinals did make one though major league move. It's not a major move, but it's a major league move in re-signing TJ McFarland, Um, he comes off of, obviously, you know, had made a significant impact, uh, after coming off of of the uh, the scrappy basically, uh, and turned into one of the better arms in the bullpen. Alex, is this a good idea Uh, just because, you know, I mean, obviously he was good last year. Can he be good again next year?
2: He can be good next year. He can be very bad next year. Relief pitchers. Don't you love them? (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Uh, th- this is what I'll say. Uh, I don't know who the relief pitcher, uh, sort of the uh, more obscure relief pitcher guru is out there, akin to Kyle being that of prospects. Um, but whatever that person said about the TJ <laughs> McFarland signing, again, just picture me saying it, and that's my opinion.
0: <laughs> Can you imagine if there was like a, a, a middle relief guy out there that was that's all they focused on was middle relievers and the vague i would
1: absolutely love for that to be a thing because do you know how hard it is to like actually know anything about middle relievers because of the (laughs) like kyle said uh or like alex said in reference to the way kyle talks about minor leaguers it could be great it could also be terrible and that's just the way that uh you know that bullpen cookie crumbles sometimes. I look, McFarland was great last year. Um, mostly, I'm just hoping that we get more Lars bar and TJ McFarland. That was my <laughs> primary thought about the re-signing there.
2: <laughs> and, and Daniel, I promise I won't answer another question like that if you, if you haven't already regretted having me on. Um, you know,
0: no, I, I don't know that I have very many more questions for you to answer. So you
2: probably
0: <laughs> safe as well. Um, yeah, I just worry a little bit because of like you said relievers are it seems very if it seems very cardinal ish for sure and and so much so because the cardinals would go out and of course they go get a reliever inside them to a three or four year deal but, but this terrible. isn't
2: that right this is not like a no. pencil situation or a uh gosh who are some of those others we could pencil in that just all i mean i, I feel like they didn't hit on a single one of those guys that they yeah. signed through a three or four year deal um
0: well, even so the guys I, I feel
2: much better about a deal like this. I guess is what. I'm
0: yeah, talking. I mean it's a one-year deal. It's two and a half million. You could get rid of a few I agree with that for sure. But it, you know, it's like even go back to you know Jason Mott or somebody like they got an extension, uh, and then wound up you know getting hurt or whatever. They tended to wipe out a lot of that. Um, I, you know, McFarland struggled a little bit down the stretch. Um, you wonder a little bit if people are catching up to him. But if you are a ground ball pitcher. Uh, playing on this team you're probably going to have some success so uh, which leads us to our last point cardinals win five gold gloves they win the platinum glove as well uh no announced that being announced tonight um i know go gloves is not the be all and end all but it's still kind of cool to see the cardinals set a a record and this is a word that's been around for a while a record for a team with five gold gloves
1: yeah it's what it means, I mean, okay, that can be debated, sure. Uh, but the reality is it means that everyone in baseball realized the Cardinals infield defense and outfield defense was what kept them in games this year. It's what allowed them to get to the point where a 17-game winning streak was enough to propel them into a real postseason conversation. And look, the Cardinals don't make it to where they were this season with the pitching that they went through without the defense doing what it did so if nothing else it just sort of reiterates okay that part of what they're doing is working really well
2: agree that you know you look at the team last year and in the offensive categories that in my opinion really matter like run scored on base uh you know wcr plus whatever they were if not average uh, below average. And we know pitching at least for the first couple of months was pretty much a mess. And so the defense really was the star of the show. And if, if there's anything to kind of be frustrated about it's, and you know, I'm not the first person of course, to make this observation, it's that, gee, it would have been nice if we didn't spend the first four months just walking and hitting every batter uh, <laughs> we face because Lo and behold, you can get someone like, uh, you know, Jay Happ or John Lester, who weren't it's not like they were very good, but they could throw the ball across the plate and let the other team hit it. And that was almost good enough to win uh, a lot of games. So it reinforced what we already knew, which is that the Cardinals had a very good defense. And it was nice to see them kind of, I guess, get the recognition for that.
0: You know if there's a guy out there that that follows defense um and would talk about it um <laughs> then that's the guy i'm gonna just pretend like i said that and um not ahead go with that um yeah yeah it was great to it was great to see i don't if four of the five were pretty expected i do not and we may be wading into a dangerous topic here i just realized we've got on the show i did not expect tommy edmund to win at second base um especially when uh the milwaukee brewer second baseman was also in that mix um
1: who's that again who is that guy i, I can't well, remember what's his well, name how many
2: play appearances <laughs> did, he, did he end up having? is that probably what cost him the goal yes. if he just didn't play enough
1: i think uh, the injured the time he spent injured probably played a, a significant role there
0: it probably did Um, Although he got 445 at-bats, 116 games. It's not, you know, 492 plate appearances. It's not as much. That's actually more than I thought he had, I guess, to some degree.
1: Is it fair to suggest that the... (laughs) This is a weird way to to talk about this, but is it fair to suggest that the Brewers pitching was actually better? So he didn't need to be as spectacular in the field as, uh as we've mentioned, the Cardinals pitching staff needed the defense. I don't know if that plays in, but maybe it uh, didn't afford him quite as many opportunities as he would have had. Otherwise,
2: you mean like they had a higher strikeout rate, like, right. Had, yeah, yes. I, 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 certainly a valid, uh, thing to look at in my opinion I I, I assume they had a h- higher strikeout rate than the Cardinals uh I I I would be shocked if that wasn't the case <laughs> yeah. And so yeah I think you know fewer balls put into play fewer chances fewer f- fewer chances to really pad those defensive metrics that most people don't really quite understand um yeah I think that's uh I think that's a legit thing to wonder about
0: I don't know about actual strikeout right because i just pulled this up but the brewers led the major leagues in strikeouts at 1618 okay. the cardinals were last in strikeouts okay. at 1225 so, so yes it's yes.
1: entirely par- possible and maybe even probable <laughs> that that uh cut into the spectacular moments of colton Wong.
0: <laughs> and, and you know we saw the cardinals especially more in the last year or two but even this year doing the shifts, doing this and things of that nature. I don't know if Milwaukee's better at that so that, you know, Colton did for the few ground balls that he got might not have necessarily needed to be spectacular or anything of that nature uh, because they were putting him in the right spot um, or that he could cover the ground a little bit more. I will say Tommy Edmond, when he was playing second base, did a very good job. I don't, you know, I don't think it's, I didn't think it was at the time a gold glove one, but I just never gave it much thought. And he, um, he made some good plays. Um, so I was very, I was just a little bit, you know, when he came out on the nominees, I was like, huh. Uh, but you know, he's not winning that. And then when he won it, I was really surprised. It's very, really, really weird that the one spot that the Cardinals don't win is Yadier Molina. Uh, not that that wasn't fair. It's just a little weird.
1: Yeah, you know, reputation, I guess, isn't everything in this game at this point. And they were probably like, okay, we can't give them all the all the awards.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I do think that might have hurt Dylan Carlson at some point to getting in the nominees. It's like we we voted for the other two. We can't vote for everybody in the Cardinals. Uh, Don't
1: worry, he'll win one eventually, anyways. Yeah,
0: probably so. Um, I just saw the rec. What I see the stat: Cardinals have ninety-two gold gloves in their. Uh, history and the second place team is like 75 um it's that if you're looking at the cardinal way that is a huge part of it so um guys it's been fun um what are the chirps plans for this offseason or are there chirps plans for this off season
1: that is an excellent question <laughs> No, we're we're taking a, a beat and then we're going to regroup when there are things to discuss. And um, that is all the detail that I have unless Alex has, you know, gone around and made plans without me, uh, which is entirely possible because I've been very MIA.
2: <laughs> I think we had intended on trying to do a show right after Marmel was hired. But we then we just couldn't find the time, and then when we saw we we're gonna be on your show, I was like, yeah, that's good enough.
1: <laughs> I'll uh, hear our thoughts? That'll, yeah, that
2: <laughs> that can count as like half a show for <laughs> jerps. Uh, uh, Two thirds, I guess, if you're actually counting. Um, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, y'all,
0: y'all, If we if we put it to a vote, this might get released as a chirps instead of unusual all of a sudden you, all right, ben,
2: you need to come up with the chirp of the week right now <laughs> but no yeah. no. hopefully hopefully we'll at least have a few off-season episodes and they aren't all about well it doesn't look like there's going to be baseball this year um, which by the way what does that mean for Wainwright and Yadier Molina let's say worst case scenario and there's either a a long-term labor shortage uh, labor shortage one way, <laughs> work <laughs> stoppage um, you know I've been reading the word labor shortage a lot yeah later.
0: yeah uh, yeah that's fair
2: uh, work stoppage and you know obviously worst case scenario there's not a season at all I can't imagine that happening but if there's a big chunk of the season missing uh, because of that um, and this is uh, not commentary at all on the actual situation, but just from selfishly, that would really be a bummer for Wainwright and Yachty.
0: It would, <laughs> it would, but you also wonder, well, I mean, we kind of saw what Yachty or Molina did last year, right? With a lot of time off. Um, you wonder if it might be as as bad as it would be and as, as much as we don't want it. You wonder if that kind of rest on him would be a good thing.
2: Oh, uh, absolutely. I just mean from like I I'm I'm really invested in that like bat the oh, the oh battery yeah, numbers. Yeah, and I yeah. really want them to get up there as high as they can. So yeah, it's it, it's it's more just stupid, selfish re- like uh things that don't ultimately matter in terms of how they're gonna finish in the standings, but you know, things that look nice years you know, down the road. You know
0: what's gonna be frustrating is if they tie it or come one short because Wainwright pitched that game at the very end of the season last year that Yachty didn't catch right? Um, because of his, I mean, just stick him out there. You know what I'm saying? You know, right. let him catch the first, you know, pitch and then it counts. Right. I don't know. It should. <laughs> I don't know. I agree. Yeah. That, that, you're right. That part would be, I hadn't, I didn't think about it that way, but you're right. That would, that would probably be enough for Yachty to say, yeah, I said I was retiring, but I'm coming back we're going to get this record. So, um, but hopefully you're right. Hopefully we're not, I, it feels like a lockout is probable, but you know, there still seems to be some optimism that, that just means that, you know, December and January, won't have anything happening and Hey, we're used to that. Right. Cardinals don't do anything then anyway. So at least they'd have a reason for it. Now
1: we're, we're trained for this.
0: Yeah. We've been planning. We've been working on this. You know, if they get to February, then we got a we got problems. What, the they, only
2: other thing I'll say, Daniel, in terms of goals this offseason is that I hope there's a podcast out there somewhere where they're talking about Ozzie Smith rookie cards and someone says, Well, whatever Alex Chrisopoli said about <laughs> it, just <laughs> pretend that's me and nodding my head along.
0: I have no doubt that's out there in some universe at least so uh even if it's not ours so tara and alex it's been great to have y'all on again um we'll do it at some point in time tara and i might even do a gateway at some point in time we'll have to figure that whole thing out um but until next time for tara and alex i'm daniel good night